Well, welcome to the season when we dress for fall in the morning and <clears throat> by the afternoon it's summertime. You always got to make sure you have something so you can like, pull off a hoodie or whatever. We good? can always tell when um, we're so such creatures of habit, aren't we? we? How many of you, well, how many of you sit in the same section every time? Yeah. Yeah, well, so the Don, Donnie here's like, we thought maybe we should move over a section because, like, this entire section is, like, I know where they all are. They're, like, all va- on vacation. You can always tell. It's crazy. Last week, how many of you were here last week? Show of hands. I mean, I can't even see. Put them up higher. Thank you. So <clears throat> I asked that because last week is, was part one, and this is part two. So if you weren't here last week, I'm going to try to give you a quick recap. And if you, um, if you know somebody who was here last week, and uh, please let them know to go watch this. I think these are really important messages. The whole point of these messages, because we've, we've been in a series called um, The Romans Road Trip. We're working our way through the book of Romans. How many of you are reading more in Romans than you've ever read before in your entire life? Anybody? Show hands. It's a fantastic letter. Um, and so we just have to have some... It's a season thing, right? So we, we, we had Encounter. Encounter was, again, I'm still unpacking what Encounter was, right? And so last week, I thought, well, hey, we'll take one Sunday. We'll just try to kind of like work our way through like, okay, now what, right? And then when we got done, um, a, a number of you had questions that you've asked, which is great. I love that. And so it was like, okay, well, we'll do a part two, and we'll kind of try to answer some of those questions. And then next Sunday... We're going to do a, we're taking just a quick break from Romans and we're going to do a series called Scare Tactics. I'm not sure if, if we even have that slide or not, but you've seen it probably in the bathrooms. It's the eyes that are looking at you like they're peering into your soul. I want to make sure you understand something. Um, I, we're talking about fear, shame, and manipulation, okay? And I know that a lot of you are like, oh, yeah, that's so cute. This, it's, it's Scare Tactics this October. Clearly, Pastor Paul is talking about Halloween. Um, no, Pastor Paul's going to talk about how churches use fear, shame, and manipulation to try to get people to do stuff. And we're going to break that off of this place. I'm not sure that is even a thing here, but we're going to just attack it head on because God's love doesn't lead us that way, right? So um, five weeks in October, I'm sure at some point um, something demonic will come out. Uh, hopefully not of me or of you, but like we'll just talk about stuff. I mean, because that is Satan's, that's his mode of operation is to intimidate. And when churches use that to convince people to do stuff, then who is um, the, who's the church being led by? Yeah, somebody said not God. <laughs> we don't want to quite say Satan, but not God. It's like we were talking earlier, like what is my favorite my, my favorite summer, my favorite season of the year is not summer, right? Like whatever is not summer, that's my favorite one. Sometimes we don't want to attribute things to Satan, but listen, if, if he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and if he wants to manipulate, make us afraid, so we'll compromise, then if we take part in any of that, then we are working with him. And I think Jesus said something like this, if you're not with me, you're against me. So anyway, that's October. I hope you come back. It's going to be awesome. Okay, so last week we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I read all of it. We were in part of chapter 5 and then the first verse of chapter 7. And basically what we talked about was, um, hey, like God's doing something 
in our church. We've been praying for it for a long time. And if you've been raised in church, you've heard pastors say things like this. And I'm, we'll unpack this more in the weeks to come. I think sometimes this can also be a way that we manipulate. I'm not saying that every pastor who's ever said this is manipulating. But if you've been raised in church, you've heard pastors say a lot of stuff like, we're so close. Just keep pressing in. We're this close. God is almost doing it. Like we, sometimes that's true, but sometimes it can feel like we're always so close, right? And like, do we ever get there? And at some point, I feel like what God has told me and a lot of our leadership is that during encounter, we cross over a threshold. Now, don't let that language freak you out and make you think, oh, that's so weird and woo, spooky. What does that mean? It means literally, follow me, we crossed over a threshold. That's what it means, right? It means that so we've stepped into a new season. We've stepped into something new. Um, Wendy shared last week the, the definition of threshold is like it's like exceeding a certain amount of mass capacity. Like if you've heard the phrase critical mass, it's because enough people got into the room so that the feel of the room changed from what it was when there weren't many people to like, wow, this is pretty awesome and exciting. You know, kind of what happens in our church between the first and third worship song. Right? Amen. Yeah. Because when we start the service, like Natasha gets up and welcomes a third of you. And after the worship's over, it's like, wow. But there, and something happens in the room. That's a threshold. You've heard threshold of pain, right? That's all this is. We have crossed a threshold. So what? Crossed? I said crossed. Is that a new word? We've crossed the threshold. So last week we were talking like, what does that mean? What does it mean to have crossed the threshold? And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul basically says to the Corinthians, you and I are now partners in the gospel. We are co-laborers in the gospel. He doesn't write to them like he's the leader and they're the father. He says, no, we're in this together now. You are called. He says, you're compelled by the love of God. You're convinced of that by the gospels, and you are called as ambassadors. He says that in verse chapter 5, verse 20. Then he unpacks what it means to be ambassadors. How many of you, show of hands, have ever gotten a promotion at work? And along with that promotion came no raise, but a lot more responsibility. Anybody? Yeah. And you were like, this is, this is a raise? This is a, I mean, this is a promotion? And so Paul like, says to the Corinthians, if you can imagine being them hearing this letter, hey, you are now ambassadors of the king of kings. And I don't, I don't think I would fit in Washington, D.C. at all. Although maybe now because they've lowered the dress code, maybe I would fit. But if somebody said, hey, Paul, we want you to be amb an ambassador to, I don't know, Cyprus. Let's just pick an awesome country. That would be like, what? You want me to go to that country and, like, represent? Wow. That's, that'd be awesome. And then what if I got to that country and found out that everything there was horrible, bad, and my life was awful as an ambassador? I'd be having this moment like, wait, wait, wait. I thought that, like, I was getting a promotion 
but this isn't quite what I expected. And that's what happens in chapter 6. He says in chapter 5, you and I, are, you're an ambassador with me. We're co-laborers. And then in chapter 6, he explains what ministry looks like. And I told you last week, if you sum up ministry from chapter 6 in one word, it would be pain. And then in the middle of that pain, he says this. He shares his pain, what he has experienced as a leader, as a preacher of the gospel. And then he says, but we have not withheld our heart from you. But I feel like you have withheld your heart from me. He talked about being constrained, like we're opening wide our hearts, but I feel like your heart is shrinking. I do believe this is happening in our culture today. I mean, I know a lot, it's so cool to talk about last days, and like maybe, the, I don't know if these are the last days, but I know that they're closer to the last days than yesterday, right? And the Bible does talk about in the last days, the love of many will grow what? Cold. It will shrink. Hearts will become less willing to open. Wendy and I talk about this all the time. We don't want to just know God. We want to be known by him. That's opening up your heart. That's vulnerable. It's hard. It's painful. It's all the things that Paul talks about. When you open your heart to somebody else, you run the risk of them doing what? Not opening their heart to you, right? You're like the middle school boy that finally works up the nerve to ask a girl out, and she's just like, who are you again, right? And it's like everybody heard it. I remember my, my first kiss, my first, absolute first kiss. Outside the old Albemarle Junior High School. My grandma, she was picking me up from school that day, and word had spread the whole day. Like, you know, like when you're going to have a fight after school and word spreads. It's like, hey, y'all get out there right after the bell because Paul's going to be fighting so-and-so. Well, the word had spread that I was going to kiss a girl that day after school. And so when I showed up in the designated spot of torture, when I showed up there, like, all my friends had come. It's like, not a, and this is not an event you want a ticket to, you know what I'm saying? And not only had they all shown up, and I was already feeling like this pressure, then my grandma, who was pulling up to pick me up from school, she drove up in her silver Omni. Does anybody remember those, those cars? Weren't they made by Dodge? Is that right? Dodge Omni? Anyway, she pulls up, and I panicked. Like, my friends are here, the girl's here, my grandma's here. If I'd have just stopped and thought long enough, she probably couldn't see anyway. But, and she drove as if she couldn't see, so probably she couldn't see. So I just went for it, right? And I just, like, closed my eyes. I leaned in, and she turned her head like that. And I'm not sure if I kissed her ear or her, I'm not sure where exactly it landed, but it did not land on the lips, and so I was mocked as I probably should have been by my grandma. No, I'm kidding. Grandma didn't mock me at all. She took me to get cookies, I'm sure. The point here is, like, sometimes, like, we, we make ourselves, we put ourselves out there, and then people don't return it, and that's a, that's a hard place to be, yes? And that's what Paul's trying to navigate with these people in Corinth. He's trying to help them understand, like, look, in ministry, there will be times that you give your heart away to people who not only don't return the love, but take your heart and do that to it and say, but we appreciate you. And he says, that's how it feels. 
And then he said this, and this was the point last week. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. Don't be yoked with unbelievers. Those verses that we've all heard, if you've been in church any of your life, you've heard this from people who were basically telling you who to be friends with and who not to be friends with. Yes? But I think what Paul was also saying was you can't give your heart to us because you've already given your heart away. So don't give your heart away in the wrong places. Reserve that so you can partner with us in the gospel. I did mention that the reason the woman was able to pour out oil on Jesus' feet is because she had not poured it out somewhere else. And that seems like such a simple truth, but isn't it so powerful? If you ever had somebody, like, invite you over at the last minute for a really nice meal, and you didn't realize it was going to be a nice meal, so you had stopped and gotten a big, like, a, a Big Mac meal at McDonald's, and when you finally showed up, they were like, here's this awesome spread. And you're like, oh, if I'd have known that, <laughs> I wouldn't have eaten this. Because this is where it sits, right? Or maybe it's somewhere... We're fill up on all the wrong stuff, and then when the good stuff's presented, we've got no room. And I do think that the Lord is telling us as a church, I can't speak for all churches, but at least the gathering. And what are we, what are we partnering with? What are we giving our hearts away to? And if it's not to the Lord first and one another second, we're giving it away to the wrong places. And whatever he's getting ready to do, whatever he is doing, we can miss it because we've given our hearts away. So is that a good recap from last week if you were here last week? If you were here last week, you're like, why didn't you do it that fast last week, right? I love to do the recaps, and your faces are so priceless. You're just like, really, dude? Like you preached an hour last week. That was 10 minutes. Are you kidding me right now? And it's 10 minutes on top of whatever you're going to do today. Right. So here's some questions. Are you all okay with this? Like, not live Q&A. I mean, I guess you could ask me questions. I just start sweating. That's what happened, you know. Not because I'm nervous. It's just like, oh, I don't have the answer. Here's some questions that came up after last week, and I'm going to give you some scriptures as well to go with all of this. First question. This was the number one question that I was asked. Because, again, um, in, in Corinthians, he said, like, don't be, don't be unequally yoked, right? Like, Come out from them and be separate. So the number one question I was asked was, well, then what about friendships with unbelievers? Right? Can we have that? Can we, I mean, can we, can we have a friendship with people that don't believe if, the, if Paul was saying to come out and be separate? And last week, I hope you remember this, we talked about unplugging, right, from the wrong outlet and plugging into the right outlet. That's what Jesus was, that's what Paul was saying. Like, you've given your heart away, so get your heart back. And then let's partner in the gospel. That's such a great, I love doing this. It's so therapeutic for me. Is it good for y'all? I should add sound effects. That's terrible. I, it doesn't, I don't even know what I'm doing right now. Sorry. So if that's the case, then can we, I mean, can we be around? And I know, what is the obvious answer? Yes. Right? And we all know that. That's why some of you were looking at me like, that was a question? Yes. You know why it's a question? It's a question from somebody who actually cares about people who don't love Jesus. So don't, like, shrug it off that churched, right? Like, that's a really good question. What should we do? And sometimes the reason we don't have that question is because we don't know people who don't love Jesus. And somehow we think that's really good. 
Like, well, I'm living out what Paul said in Corinthians because I don't have anybody that, I don't know anybody that doesn't love Jesus. You might be in a bubble, right? And that's, there will be a bubble someday. It's called heaven. We're not there, right? And until we're there, we should be proclaiming the gospel to people that need to know it. So here, here was my answer. I'll give you a couple verses to go with it as well. I think the first thing I said to them was it's all about where we get our identity and our power from. It's, it's, again, it's what are you plugged into? What is the source, right? If the source of that friendship is like, I need to be friends with you because you're giving me some identity, then you're, you don't need to be plugged into that relationship, right? But if you know where your identity comes from, you're plugged into the Lord, and we do that how? Worship, we read the word, we know the word, we're around people that also love Jesus, like that helps a ton. But when we know who we are, when our source is Jesus, then we're able to be around people who don't love Jesus, who don't look like Jesus, don't talk like Jesus, who cuss all the things, right? And we can be a witness to those people, but we're not drawing from those people the things that we're only supposed to be drawing from the Lord. Does that make sense? You ever heard anybody say this? This is a youth pastor statement. If you've said this, Seth, then you're welcome to the club. (laughs) Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Yeah. I think that's probably true to a a point. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Um, Except I would just say, like, Jesus was a friend of sinners. And I don't think it changed his future, right? So can I just tweak it a little bit? Can I just tweak it and say this? I think that this is a better statement. Your attitude reveals your attachments. I can be around you and just being around you for a little bit of time and seeing your attitude, I could probably begin to tell you where you're plugged into. A couple, couple, well, one example that'll make you mad and one that'll make you laugh. So, I love, I mean, I really do love church people. I love Christians. I love all the, all the things. But isn't it funny how Christians can be so unhappy? Like how they never smile. This should cause you to smile right now, even while I'm talking, right? When I'm around Christians that never smile but talk about the joy of the Lord, I know that they're attached to the news, I mean, pick your favorite network. It might be Fox. It could be CNN. I don't even care which one it is. But you're definitely attached to it because it has robbed your joy and replaced it with with whatever that is. Because you don't have any hope in the future because you're attached to people, talking heads that tell you that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And even if it is, it was when Jesus came and he did something on the cross that should change us, right? So it's just, for me, that's just like a no-brainer. When people can't smile, when they're not happy, and I'm not talking about like not going through hard things. I'm talking about going through hard things but with the joy of the Lord, right? That is our strength. When, when that doesn't reflect in our lives, I would have a very simple thing. I would just suggest one thing. Unplug. Unplug from social media. The sound effects, I'm going to stop. I'm sorry. Unplug from the news and plug into 
the Bible. Plug into teachers. Plug into truth. When I was growing up, my mom banned me. Any moms like that? She said, you will not, Paul Edward Jenkins. It's like, I will not what? Like, not breathe? Not, I mean, I finished the sentence so I know what I can and can't do. She said, you will not read Peanuts anymore. Okay. Number one, do you know what Peanuts is? Charlie Brown. It wasn't what I expected to hear from her. And I was like trying to be respectful, but I was like, huh? And she said, because Lucy is a bad influence on you. (laughs) She was kind of right. Like, I think the word that Charlie Brown uses for Lucy is crabby. But he didn't say it to her. He says it about her, right? And mom said, like, when you read, because we had, like, these books of peanut strips. And so I would just read them, read them, read them, because I loved them. And I, and I learned how to draw. I was, a famous, I was a famous comic strip artist in my head. I could draw Snoopy one way on the top of the dog house thing. And that was it. I loved those books. But mom said, every time you read them, your attitude changes. Isaiah 43, verse 18 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. You know, the word for dwell there actually kind of means to reside. But there's, a, there's a, a flavor to that Hebrew word that means to separate. Isn't that interesting how last week we read in Corinthians to come out and be separate? So you, you distinguish, like you have to distinguish between former. Like you can't, I, can't, I can't dwell on that. I'm distinguishing that is past so that I can face what's next. Right? He said, don't don't. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. And in John 15, verses 4 through 5, Jesus says, Remain in me, and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, can I have friendships with unbelievers? 100%. But have a stronger relationship with Jesus first. Right? It's just amazing how our associations and our attachments affect us. Here's, a, um, here's another question. I, we, we didn't get asked this per se, but we have gotten more phone calls, more texts, and more cards from y'all I think it was Pastor Appreciation Week or something. It was crazy. And so I felt like, well, number one, y'all are awesome. But I felt like collectively the church was saying, hey, Paul and Wendy, are we driving you guys nuts? And the answer is no. Right? No. So we are madly in love with our church and with you. Um, We're not like fixing to step off the ledge or anything like that. We're in a good place. And we believe that y'all are in a good place too. So I'm not sure that I communicated clearly. Like when I, I didn't mean it to be like, we've given you our hearts and you have, you done stomped on my heart and you mashed that sucker flat. Do you know this song? (laughs) You just sort of stomped on my aorta. You don't know that song? Never, Never heard that song? They've never heard that song. Never. You've never heard that song? No, I promise I didn't. 
I didn't make it up. I promise. But no, we don't feel that way at all. I think, I think what I was trying to get across last week, and I'll see if I can just clear this up, is partnership, right? It's partnership. We believe fully that the Lord has led our church into a new season. And sometimes when you get led into a new season, you, you do new things, right? And whenever something changes, parents, you already know this, when something changes in the family, what do you have to lean into? Trust, right? You have to lean into that. And so this was more like, hey, making sure that we're connected, we're on the same page. Amos 3.3 says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so. And I'll just say, I think what I feel is 1 Corinthians 11.1, where Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, right? Um, Another reason why we're kicking off this series next week, Scare Tactics, is because I really feel like as as the leader, as the pastor, like I feel like I need to say, like, y'all, the Lord's leading us, and let's go, right? And, and if it, something happens and you're like, what is that? That's kind of different. Hey, let's have a conversation, but, like, let's go together. And I don't want to ever try to manipulate people into that, right? We just want to authentically read the Word of God and do what it says in a new way, in a new season. So, no, you aren't driving us nuts we just feel like this is a season when if God says go, then we say yes, and our yes also impacts all of y'all. Does that make sense? And so it's just a lot easier when we're all like, yes, let's do it. It'll be awesome. That was weird. Let's figure it out, right? Joshua chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. This is a, I mean, this is like a late to the message edition, right? Um, But I felt like the Lord was on this. Just hang with me. Joshua chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Joshua is being told um, to give orders to the people. And this is what he says. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and the Levitical priest carrying it. you Now, what does the Ark represent? Quick Bible test. The presence of God, right? So he's like, when you see the leaders moving with the presence of God, right? Look what he says to the people. <laughs> this is, I love this. You are to move out from your positions and follow it. If I was a youth pastor and we were having a youth group right now, we would stop the sermon and we would play a game. And the game would be, like, strike your, strike your favorite pose, strike your position. We were having a leader meeting a couple weeks ago. And I was laughing about how I always tell people, don't sit like this. Everybody's rearranging. Because it just says, I'm not really listening. And as I said that, I realized that I was standing like this. That's crazy, right? And suddenly it dawned on me, oh, wait, I'm engaged right now, and I'm sitting like this, and wait, maybe there's just a comfortable way to sit, right? But that's my preferred position. All of you have a preferred position, spiritually. And Joshua, as he was leading the people into a new season, 
the word from the Lord was, you tell them that when they see the presence of God move, when they see the leaders moving with the presence of God, you tell all the people, all millions of them, move out from your positions and follow. And you can't, you can't follow if you don't move out of your positions. I will not be moved. Oh, there goes the presence of God. What do I do now? Well, I'm not going to be moved. But I'm still following you in my heart, heart. I wish I was closer to you, Jesus. It's like, solution is simple. Move from your position and follow. Do you get that? That's powerful. If you don't get anything else out of today, get that. Like That might be the word for our new season. Like, move out of your positions and follow. And so, for that to happen, there's got to be trust, right? Like, just trust with one another. That was what I was trying to get across last week. Okay, two more questions and then a testimony. Um... What do we do now that we've crossed over? That sounded like we died, didn't it? <laughs> Let's now that we've crossed over the threshold, what now? Anybody else had that moment in the last couple of weeks? Like, now what, right? So I wrote this down, super spiritual. You're going to be blown away by my pastoral wisdom. You ready? We act like it. Oh, that what? We act like it, Period. Paul said, I am an ambassador, but then he said, we are ambassadors. You are an ambassador. He speaks to the new identity. This is a story from when, we first, when I first got married, and we were living in Columbia, and we would go to church, and we would go back to her parents' house, and we would have, you know, lunch, because her mom. <laughs> we were just blessed with moms that could cook, right? So it was like... If they said, do you want to come to the house, you just clear your calendar. The answer is always yes. Amazing. And southern food. Anyway, we went there. And so as we were going, um, every Sunday kind of turned into this. It was kind of like a little bit of a tense thing where the, her mom would go in the kitchen to clean. And, like, sometimes I would go help. And sometimes we'd be sitting on the couch having a conversation with her dad or whatever. But at one point, her dad, I guess, kind of got frustrated with that. And he, he just, like, told Wendy, you will go in the kitchen and you will help your mother. And I was, like, kind of taken aback. Aback is also a fun word. We should bring that aback. I was taken, I was caught off guard. Like, wait, who does he think he is? Can you, in, listen, how many of you are um, in your 20s? Just out of curiosity. Um, you don't have to raise your hands, but, like, there's grace for y'all. Because I was in my 20s once, too. You think you know everything? And you might, I mean, I might have forgotten it, but you might know it all. But I thought I knew it all. And I remember, like, I kind of, I, I took it as long as I could. And one Sunday, <laughs> it's amazing I'm still alive. One Sunday, he said to her, you will go help your mother in the kitchen. And I stood up and I said, she might still be your daughter, but she's my wife. And I said, she, I said, you know her. She will go help because she loves to help, but you will not talk to my wife that way. And Wendy was like, I'll be in the kitchen. <laughs> right. I mean, now that I'm not in my 20s, I kind of get it. But here's what I want you to get. In a weird way, what was I doing? I was trying to speak to her new identity. Right? 
Like, she's not just your daughter anymore. When I pick Wendy up and we step over the threshold and we, I put her down and we're in our brand new home and we're newly married, we face a now what moment, don't we? Huh. Well, um, it feels the same. You could call her by her maiden name and she would probably answer, but at some point she would say, that's not my name anymore, right? And you have to figure that out. So how, what do we do now while we don't know what to do? We speak to who we now are. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, um, I don't know what it is about chapter 6 in Corinthians, but 1 Corinthians 6 is a powerful chapter. 2 Corinthians 6, we were in it last week, powerful. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul spends a lot of time talking about some bad activity in the Corinthian church at the first part of that chapter. And in the last part, he does it again. So the first part, he's kind of like, um, y'all, don't you know that like all these people that do these things will never inherit the kingdom of God? It's one of those verses that we love to preach while we pound on the table. And then at the end, he talks about, so flee from sexual immorality. <laughs> he's like, he calls them out, right? And right in the middle is verse 11. And this is what he says. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What was Paul doing? He was saying this. I want you to see your current actions. Stop seeing your current actions based in your past identity. That's not who you are anymore. You're living now based on who you were, but new identity leads to new activity. You need to see yourself as who you are now. We need to see our church as who we are now. We have an amazing anointing in our church for just giving people grace in broken seasons. For 12 years, that's been the life of our church. So much to the point that people, I've had people say, like, your church is like a first responder church. You're first on the scene. You just love the people. You make sure that they're going to get to the hospital, and then they get sent to the hospital where they can get healed. I'm like, that's cool. I like that. But I think that God's also put us in a season of healing. And if our whole identity is we're just broken people, we're broken people, we're broken people, then we'll never know how to act when we're healed. We've crossed a threshold. And sometimes it's like, just like this morning, right? It's been a crazy two weeks, a lot of activity in our church. I tell you this all the time. Trees are their most vulnerable when they're bearing fruit. Right? We've been bearing some fruit, y'all. And so we're a little bit vulnerable. I mean, just spiritually, emotionally, physically, when you get tired, you sometimes don't make good decisions. We need to remember, like, we've crossed over and we have a new identity. Last question. This is helping. I don't know. Some of y'all are like, when are we going to get to the question about do I have to fall on the floor? Well, I didn't put that in here. That didn't make the top four. Um, can I give you a, let me give you the Paul answer, maybe not the Holy Spirit answer. Okay, let's ask that question again. Do I have to fall on the floor? 
No. And if that is how you see it, you really need to come to this series about fear, shame, and manipulation because some pastor somewhere has manipulated you and made you think that you have to go down if they're sweaty or they put their hand right there. That's what y'all look like. I've looked like that before, right? Been touched by the man of God, right? That's not going to happen here. Well, I, it might. It might, right? Because people get excited. Some people are, like, strong and intense. And it can, as a culture, we don't want that to happen here. But you know what I do want to have happen here? I want you and I want to be so overwhelmed with the presence of God that I'd be like, I mean, I don't have to go down, but pff, I just need, can I just catch my breath for a second? <laughs> It'd be like me on, when I go running. I used to only take, have to catch my breath like every five miles. Now it's like every half mile. Oh, I just need to take a break. <sighs> so do you have to go down? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Does going down prove anything? It just proves you might need to work out your legs a little bit more. Right? It just proves that you're just weak in that moment. And that's not a bad thing. It proves that you're overcome. It proves that you might have met somebody that you are madly in love with and just want to hang out a little bit longer with him. It doesn't prove that you're more spiritual, closer to God. It doesn't prove that the person who prayed for you is anointed. It just, literally, it just proves that you're on the floor. Is that okay? Some of you are like, I don't even know what to do with this guy. Welcome to Wendy's world. All right, last one, last one, and then testimony. And again, I don't think anybody's asked me this, but I want to I answer it because... It's kind of tied into that third question, what do we do now that we've crossed over? Some of the language that we use is, might change here. Um, it's like the verse we read from Psalm 63. God, you are my God, and in a dry and weary land, like I, I, I earnestly seek you, I thirst for you. Um, can you hear the desperation in that language? Like I earnestly thirst for you. I'm seeking you. It's like a single person who thinks they're never going to meet the one. And then they do. Because they met the one, will they ever feel that earnest seeking again? I hope so. Or they're not going to stay married. The, the emotion might stay the same, but the motive changes. Does that make sense? Like, I'm still hungry for God, but not because I'm hoping he'll feed me, but because he has fed me and I want more. Do you see the difference in the language? It's the same words, different meaning. I put, how do we explain encounter to the people who missed it? And, and I don't mean that like in a shaming way. Like, if you missed it, you missed it because, like, life happens and all that stuff. But, like, this was one of those events. Like, if you weren't in the room, I love you. But you missed it. So how do we as a church navigate that? How do we explain to somebody who missed it, right? 
And here's what I wrote down. You explain it to them like you explain where you live after an earthquake. The same people live in the same location, but they're not the same people, and it's not the same house. Have you seen the interviews after all the disaster out in Hawaii, right, the wildfires? Um, whenever there's, like, a tornado, you'll see them, like, news people interviewing people, um, and they'll, they'll be, like, in the neighborhood, and they'll say, this is right where I live, and behind them is no house. It's gone. What they're saying is, this is where I live. This is my neighborhood. This is my place. These are my people. All these people that are walking around, wandering through, through rubble, trying to figure out, like, what, what's still standing? What can I still use? Those are my people. We still live here, but we're not the same. That thing that came through has changed us. We're marked now. And we will rebuild. And what we build might even, we had a neighbor who lost her house to fire about 10 years ago. And she rebuilt the exact same house. She had the same blueprint. She found a builder. She said, I want the exact same house. And he did. It's beautiful. I don't think that's us, right? I don't think we're going to have the same house. And, and I, and I want to give you grace in all of that. Like some of this might feel different because, well, it is. Or at least I am. I, I'm just not going to apologize for how my passion might make you feel. So... The, the one word answer to how do you explain this to people who missed it is you invite them to come, right? Here's three verses. John 1, 46, Jesus, Jesus has, has sent out his disciples, and Philip has gone to Nathaniel, and he, he invites, he's like, Nathaniel, you need to come, and you need to come see this man. He's from Nazareth and, Nazareth, and this is what Nathaniel said. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? It's like Stanley County. And Philip's response was, come and see. To the, to the skeptics, and, and I don't say that in a derogatory way because all of us are skeptical from time to time. So when you're talking to people and you're like, man, I don't, know, I don't even know how to explain what happened in, in encounter and what's been happening and is continuing to happen in our church and they're like yeah it can't be real it can't be real churches are jacked up they're messed up they have to fake everything it's all manipulation I'm not asking you to have an argument with them I'm telling you to look at them and say well, come and see yeah, I don't have to come and see what are you afraid of if it's not real it won't hurt you just come and see John 4, 29, the woman at the well went to her city and said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Notice how she didn't have the answer. She just had an experience. <laughs> She's just, I get all the, you have all the questions. Just come see a man. 
Who told me everything I've ever done? Could this be the Messiah? I was, when I was writing this down, I was like, I want to tell y'all to go, go, like, first we invite the skeptics to come. Then one said, let's just go invite the city to come. But then God took that one a little bit deeper. He's like, Paul, that's not, that's not just the city that she lives in. That's the city that made her an outcast. That, that's the city that made her go to the well at noon instead of in the evening when it was cooler. That's the one that made her go alone because she didn't want to be around the women who were gossiping about her. And God said, you, you, you invite people to come. You go say that to the ones who have hurt us. I'm not really an idiot. It's a small town. And I've had enough phone calls from people that start like this. Hey, are you the pastor of the gathering? Uh, who's asking? <laughs> you know, I always say yes. And they'll say, can I ask you a question? Absolutely. What do you want to ask me? Well, I've heard, and whatever they, however they start it, it always ends. I've heard that your church, whatever, or that you believe this, or that you do this. I haven't gotten the snake handling yet. Hopefully that never happens. But almost every time they ask the question, my response is, I'm so glad you called. Because that's not who we are. And would you be willing to tell the person that told you that what I just told you? Listen, people will hurt you. You will be rejected by people in this town. I'm telling you, go to those people anyway and say, come and see. And in the last group I want you to go to, and this might be you. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I want you to go to the hurting, to the tired, and to the weighed down, and I want you to invite them to come. I can already hear the objections, but Paul, they don't have to come to church to get saved. I know, especially when you start living like God called you to live, and me too. They'll be coming to church saved. To celebrate in church with you because you led them to the Lord, right? But y'all, if you're not quite sure how to do that, by all means, bring them here. Because I have zero problem looking at people and saying this. You ready? If you're trusting in anything other than Jesus for the salvation of your soul forever, you have no hope. When he said he is the way, the truth, and the life, he meant it. Not because he's closed-minded, but because he actually knows all. And he knows that every other avenue for apparent salvation leads to destruction. And our only hope is by putting all of our faith all of our trust in who he is and what he did. Believe and confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you will be saved. And you know what's going to happen? We're going to see a ton of salvation in this house. You know who's going to be the first ones? The church people 
the Bible says Jesus told a parable about a woman who lost a coin in the house. Because a lot of times the lost are in the room. And he's searching for you. That word you gave, oh my. I was sitting here going like, that'll preach. Oh, wait, I'm getting ready to preach about that, right? Like, that was amazing. Like, what are we trusting in, y'all? What are we trusting in? If it's anything other than Jesus, I need to tell you, as much as I love coming to church with you, I will not spend eternity with you. Because my salvation is based solely on Jesus and what he did. And if yours is in anything else, doing a little, a little bit more good than bad. Hey, I read my Bible all the time. I even pray for the sick. And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I'm telling you, you can't be saved to put a wall up between you and the Lord and you and somebody else. People that are saved will be known by Jesus and by one another. That is salvation. That is what church is. That is what's shifting at the gathering. And none of that has anything to do with you falling on the floor. Right? I would so much rather the Holy Spirit convict us of the pride in our heart than to give us a fantastic service where we're jumping up and down. But can I tell you this? When he convicts us of the pride in our heart and we repent, you don't think there might be some jumping around? I mean, I'll be getting on my bad white pastor funky moves, right? And they're bad, y'all. But I don't care, right? You'll bring your whole personality and you'll just come worship the way, the way you worship because you'll be free. We'll be free. That is where we are, right? That's what we've stepped into. Prayer is a mandate, y'all. We have to pray. I pray at home by myself. Good for you. Let me know how that coal keeps burning when it's away from the fire, right? Bring it here. Do it together. Be one. This is what we've stepped into. He's going to move our body towards that city even more than we already have. It's going to be phenomenal. Right? Because he's going to build his kingdom through this place. Now, testimony. Come on, Jim. He asked if he could share a testimony. And I was like, uh, let me think about it. Yes. Right? Because I love this. I love. Do you want music playing behind you with that? No. I got a <laughs> I don't even know what he said. It's fantastic. All right. This is Jim. Everybody say, hey, Jim. Um, I don't know how close I need to hold this. Um, I got you. For years, I worked with Boy Scouts, and I never needed one. Um, I had parents come up to me and tell me, the first six months, you terrorized my child. They were scared of you because of your voice. After about six months, they would come to me a year, year and a half into it, and say, I need you to know my children look up to the pack leader. They look up to the scoutmaster. But whenever you go anywhere on a trip, whenever you do anything, they want to be with you, you're the safety safe. No matter what could happen, no matter what situation, I was going to be the guy that steps up in front. 
Now, I'm going to give you a little history lesson. This is going to be random, but it's going to come to a focus. Um, when I first met my beautiful wife, it was back in a location of a building called Silver Odyssey. Silver Odyssey was a building where you went and spent all your quarters to play video games. Um, her best friend, Leanne's brother, went to school with me at a different high school, and Christy asked him, who is that guy? And Baxter went into saying, that's Jimmy Snuggs, stay away from him. He's not a good guy. As I grew up in Stanley County, I couldn't ask for a better set of parents. I had the best parents in the world. Love them to death. Pray to God that they couldn't see me during most of my adult life now that I look back on it. Um, I was the guy that you called when you had sketchy things to do. I'm going to try to change some languages. I'm not going to say what I said during the times. I'm not going to ask you if you've seen a movie, Pulp Fiction, but it's a horrible movie. My wife thinks it's the worst movie in the world. Starts at the end, it goes to the middle, and it flips back and forth. As I was coming through my life, there was different things that I was put in different positions. I was recognized one time, and I had a manager come up to me and say, you're the type of person that I need for crowd control in our restaurant. That's a proper name for, I need for you to be a bouncer in the bar because it gets rough. So that's what I did, and I was good at it. I was taught that you don't show pain. Grew up on a family beef farm. Very young in my life, I had some problems in school. I was always a very smaller built child because I was a very active child on the farm. But what people didn't understand was back then there was no such thing as a 25 or 50 pound bag. Everything was 100, 200 pound bags. And I was getting intimidated by a young man at school and was working cows one Saturday and had an uncle pull me to the side when he had heard about the situation and said, we work with livestock that get up to 2,300 pounds. And we've always taught you they smell fear. So do people. Don't show fear. Why are you scared of anybody your own size if you're messing with animals that are 13 to 23, 2,600 pounds? That kind of sunk in there as a small child, and that's how I ran my life. One Sunday after church, because I was a seat-warming Methodist, we went there every Sunday, we put our money in the plate, we went to Sunday school, we put our money in the plate, we kept the seats warm. Our preachers would tell us everything was good, pray for the government. Next Sunday, everything is good, pray for the, pray for the government. And it's to the point to where at a Methodist church you know what's going to be said season by season by season, give or take every four years on who your minister is. One Sunday, we had came home, and I was working in the garden and had one of our dogs run into me and took one of my fingers down to the bone, to the second knuckle. So I said, holy feces. So I squeezed it hard, wrapped it up in my T-shirt, and went into the house. My wife and my mother were washing dishes after Sunday lunch, and I said, when you get done with the dishes, let me know. I need to wash this out in super glue and put it back together. That's... Anybody that knows me, my first aid kit when I go camping has super glue and black pepper. Black pepper, everybody goes, what, what? 
Okay, it doesn't do in you like it does in your eyes. It doesn't burn. You don't feel it, but it is a coagulant. And super glue will put you together to where you can get to where you can get help. So after lunch, they washed the dishes, and I went up there, and Mom says, how bad is it? So I peeled it back. You could see the bone. You could see the, everything in there. And Christy's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and she goes and sits down. So we clean it out. We glue it together, and I was good with it. And then my wife made me call my aunt, who's a physician's assistant, and she said, uh, if you saw the white stuff, you need to go get it checked out. So off to the hospital we go, and since it's not trauma, we sat there four or five hours. A little young guy comes in, and he says, well, I'm going to have to give you some numbing, and he starts sticking me with this little needle, and he's having a little hard time with it, so he opens up the finger and starts sticking it on the inside. He waits a few minutes, and he comes back. Suture kit to sew me up. He's sitting here, and he's poking at me, and he's poking at me, and he's poking at me, and I finally looked at him, and I said, what's the problem? He said, Mr. Snuggs, I don't know how to tell you this. I can't get this needle to pierce your finger. And I said, Buck, if you look at them fingers, this ain't even the third or fourth time they've had to be sewn up, set, or fixed. You can look at my hands and see where the knuckles have been through the skin. Never bothered me. That's what I was. Two years ago this November, I lost my mom. She was my rock. I have a saying. I fix things. I know stuff. I do remodel construction, and I depend on my tools to do a great job. And in my life, I have this tool. His name is Jeff. All you guys know Jeff. And I have another tool. His name is Clint. Now, Jeff and Clint go to this church. And you guys may not know them by that name because I have CRS. I can't remember stuff. Um, my wife can tell you I've been tested. Went to Charlotte, all these different places. They don't know if it is the first signs of a medical condition or if it's because I've had too many surgeries and the anesthesia is still there. But the long story short is I called a man, Jeff, probably the first year and a half I knew him, and his name is Tim Rogers. <laughs> and he answered to Jeff. We have been friends for probably 15 years or so. Um, Clint, who y'all know, his wife sings up here. His name's actually Kyle. And I still have a hard time remembering his name. I've been here probably about nine months. I was in a dark place, and my, fr my friend Tim said, I'd like for you to come to church with me. And for years, I said I was multi-denominational. I went to a Methodist church. We were sponsored to the Boy Scouts with a Lutheran church. And our children went to another church after school program and were in the handbell choir. So after my mom died, things weren't going well with my siblings. I had already ruined things with my wife. Um, my first Sunday in here when I talked to Paul, I said, I'm in a dust storm. I can't see anything anywhere. So Tim keeps asking me to go to church, asking me to go to church. And one Saturday, 
after meeting with the dealing of my mother's estate, he put his arms around me and said, I need to see you in church in the morning. So I came in that Sunday morning and broke down. I came back the next Sunday and I broke down. And the next Sunday. And I was coming on Wednesday nights. And we were sitting in the lantern one night with some friends. And this person came in to pick up their food and, hey, how are you doing? And like, who's that? I'm like, that's the Wednesday night lady. That's the lady who runs our prayer group on Wednesday nights. No, no clue who their name is. Certain people stick out. Other ones, other things, I always kid with people and tell them my memory's as long as my hair. Um, but back to where I'm going with this, things started happening in my life and the dust started settling. Things started happening around me and to me, and it never really, it was, it was like a broken wire. It would work part of the time, and part of the time it wasn't. And things like one Saturday I had a horrible experience with my siblings, and I came in Sunday morning, and Mike was standing out here in the parking lot. Mike's never been out there in the parking lot, but the Sunday that I needed him, Mike was there. The morning that I needed him, Jeremy was there. The morning that I needed him, John was back there. These are people that are always there. One morning I hooked up my service truck to an enclosed trailer Service truck is about 11,000 pounds loaded with tools. Trailer's close to the same. As I started to pull out of the driveway, my power steering pump threw up. If you're not a mechanic, when you're driving a dually, when you lose your steering, you've also lost your brakes. I can look back now and say, God kept me from being on the road and let that happen in the driveway. God put Mike in that parking lot for me and starting to click a little more. And like an alcoholic in recovery, I have to be at the meetings. So I'm here every Sunday, I'm here every Wednesday, and if I'm not here, I'm online. Um, my biggest tool, Tim, set me up with a program on my phone which has a daily devotional and prayer. Three times a day, I listen to that. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner before my meal. I have gotten to a point in my life to where I sat with a gentleman at a bar who was having a horrible day and was using GD about every third or fourth word, and he is a self-proclaimed agnostic. And as I got up to leave, I stopped by him and said, I'd really like to pray for you and your wife. He told me later how much he appreciated that. Coming here long enough, I got to the point where I was praying for the people who I hated most in my family. And I wasn't praying for them to get hit by a bus. <laughs> I came to Sunday, the kickoff for the revival, and Tim's like, you're coming tonight? I'm like, going to be here. And 
I've never been in a Pentecostal movement. I'm a seat-warming Methodist. We put our money in the plate. We listened to the preacher. And the reason we quit going to Methodist church was they have a new catchphrase every four years. And the last year we were there was membership drive, membership drive, membership drive, membership drive. And we had a conversation on the way home and said if our money's not good enough for them, if they need our name on a piece of paper, we don't need to be here. This was a church that I am the fourth generation of snugs in that church. My family literally built the first two. One was a brush arbor and then two churches. We mingled around a while, jumping out here a little bit, went to a couple different churches. Our children were very small. Most of them didn't have youth programs. The ones that did, we found out one was an infomercial. So we quit going there. We went to another church and was there a year and a half, and all we learned while we were there was the people who talked to us in that church were the ones that we knew before we got there. And the pastor. Also learned the new people sit over there. So-and-so sits here. This is my husband's seat here. New people sit over there. And above all else, you don't clap in that church after a Christmas cantata when the choir gets done. I did. I was the only one out of 200 people. What it got me was a scolding from the preacher after the service. Don't go there anymore. So we gave up on church, found my way in here. Back to revival, Sunday night. It's weird. Weird. Sem Semi-freaked out. Paul and his wife are laid out on the floor. People are moving. People are doing this. People are doing that. We're praying, closing your eyes. And I stand there like this during that. When I first started here, I was like this. Then I slowly like this, and I'm getting to where I'm this. And I grabbed the chair in front of me. I don't know how long I was like that. I know that when I looked around, my wife was gone. Her purse was there. She had gone to the restroom. As I say, I don't know how long I stood there like that. I do know that I had a peace and a calm come over me that I haven't felt in a long time. Um, Monday night I was here I came up to the altar I closed my eyes was pretty much oblivious to everything that was going on guys going across the stage he's talking to people he's doing things and all of a sudden something told me to open my eyes and when I opened my eyes this man's standing here talking to me And he's talking about my situation, and I don't know how he knows my situation. Paul doesn't even know all of my situation. God moves in mysterious ways. It's not up to me at this point in my journey to stand here and tell you I'm saved because I still fail daily. But I'm trying to repair my life. And being here and believing in God and having faith is the biggest part of that.
And the biggest way that the people around me have said to me is, you're different. You react different. You don't seem to be the same person that you were. So I don't have any great scripture to share with you today. All I can tell you is there's a movement in this church and there's a feeling in this church that I have put my faith into. Because when my friends say, hey man, you're not that guy anymore. I'm hoping I can be the guy that my wife can learn to love again the way that she did in the past. Um, I look at her and I still see the young lady as she was, not to be a pedophile, but the 16-year-old girl that I fell in love with that I married 22 years ago this past 22nd. So I don't know how to end this other than saying praise God, praise Tim for getting me in these doors because he is truly a tool of God as well as Paul, Mike, Kyle, John, Jeremy, who I found out is not a hugger or was not a hugger, but I am. <laughs> so whether he likes it or not, I grab him. To Mr. Udi, who supplied food to us, to Nate and Natasha. And Natasha, I don't know what your plan is through God, but I can tell you this. The first day that I came into this church and heard your name, I've never forgotten it. And your husband, Nate, Nathan, and I had a small conversation earlier uh, about something that happened seven to nine months ago on a social media platform. And to the ladies and the gentlemen who play in the music group here, I don't know that you affect anybody as much as you affect me when I come in this building on Sunday mornings and lift me up, encourage me, and help me be a better person. And all I can say is God bless all of you. And I hope that you find your way there. And I hope I can continue down this path. Yeah. Natasha's going to come and kind of wrap this up because she's less wordy than me. Um, yeah. Yeah, welcome to the mess, y'all. There is. Yeah. That, we have a sign outside that says, um, I don't even know what it says, the message, the message starts with a mess or the message is greater than, I don't even know, the message is greater than a mess, something like that. But like you can't spell message without mess. And this is who we are. This is who we are. Um, thank you for sharing that. And I kept thinking the whole time, like 
I gave you three examples in Scripture of come and see, and then we have one in our church. And that's all he just said was, just come and see. I can't answer it. I don't have, I don't have the answers. I can't explain it, but come and see. Um, I know that Natasha will give you instructions, but I would love, we have a team that would love to pray with you if you need prayer this morning. So listen to her, and then we'll do that. So I'm just, you know, what, what personally happened to me at Encounter and my friends that I brought and, you know, what he just shared. I restocked these back here at Next Steps with Wendy, and there's some on the way out the door, too. This is just this little coaster card that has a QR code on it that will take you directly to our website. Could everyone please grab one on your way home when you walk out the doors and give it to someone this week? whether it's someone behind you at the grocery store or someone that you meet at your job, you never know whose life you may change. Even if they don't come to church, maybe they'll log on the website and they'll listen to a message. Maybe their heart will get softened and changed by just sharing this. We also have a few um, cards on the back of your chairs if you'd like to um, you know, get connected with us, if you'd like to learn about a next step in your relationship with Jesus, fill those out or see Wendy in the back here at the table. And we are so glad that y'all were here this morning. The more you share, the more people get to celebrate with us in heaven. Don't forget that. <laughs>